Mile High Magic is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And if sports aren't your thing, they also have music and theater tickets. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. I can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense in 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! A rare victory Monday edition of Mile High Magic, episode number 29. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for clicking the link and plugging in for a couple of Interesting topics that we have for you today. Alongside my partner, Nikki Javala, I am Michael Spencer. And Nikki, let's get right to it. Class is in session. You are Professor Javala. What is your grade for Drew Locke after the Broncos pick up a 23-20 win over the Los Angeles Chargers in his NFL debut? I'm giving him a B plus. Um, I thought he did quite well just handling the huddle. It was all new to him. I didn't think he would do as well as he did, quite frankly, and this is no disrespect to Drew Locke. I thought it would be um, so different, and he was coming off only a few days of full practice, not even full practice, because he still s- split some of the reps with Brandon Allen. Um, but he, he impressed me. He, he looked, as Vic Fangio said, like it wasn't too big for him, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things. He looked confident. So um, it wasn't perfect. I think he only had, what, like – 134 passing yards, um, and he missed some throws here and there. But all in all, I thought it was I thought it was impressive. Yeah, and he only had 11 passing yards in the second half, which I think right, uh, we can right. get into. That to me had more to do with the play calling and the kind of time and situation than it did with Drew Locke. It also had a little something to do with Deshaun Hamilton dropping a ball. Uh, yeah, that was that was not great. Yet again, a bit of deja vu. The only difference was this one wasn't in the end zone in Oakland. Uh, but man, he had a lot of green around him, and and that would have helped his quarterback. Uh, and his final numbers there, I'm giving him a B because I thought I, I thought he was good. Good. Um, I think there's room for improvement. I think he uh, he wants the interception back. Obviously, I think to start he was a little over anxious, which I think is probably normal for a guy making his NFL debut. Um, the numbers don't necessarily blow you away. Obviously, the two touchdowns are really good, uh, but I give him a, a solid B. And I think that anything less than that is probably just unfair when you consider the offensive line that he was playing behind. The fact that he was uh, engineering a three and eight football team, uh, which hadn't won a lot of games, and he was his first start as an NFL quarterback, and I think the the play calling in the second half, really right at about the two and a half minute mark of the second quarter, was when it all went downhill for me, um, mm-hmm. and I I just didn't understand why that happened. And I don't know if it's a Rich Gangarello thing. This is certainly not the first time that it has happened. But after LA must that punt, you go three runs with Royce Freeman and don't even give mm-hmm. Drew Locke an opportunity after he's already thrown two touchdowns. I mean, you're talking about the possibility of taking a 21-3 to lead in the second quarter. 
and you ran the ball three times with a guy who's not even your number one running back. That to me just didn't make any sense. And then they got conservative tour right after the two minute warning. Uh, and that came back to bite them because the Chargers scored a touchdown. And so I, I think that there were some issues there. I don't necessarily put all of that on lock though. And so that's why I end up giving him a, a solid B for his first effort. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It did feel like they were playing it safe, though Vic Fangio still argues that on those two drives where they decide to run it three consecutive times, the first one, which you mentioned, was um, it was about midway through the second quarter, and they ultimately had to settle for a field goal. I mean, they, they were in the red zone and still decided to run it on third and two. I think it resulted in no gain, so they had to settle for that field goal. So there's a loss of a pop possible four points. And this is a game that was decided by only three. I mean, they probably would not have been in this situation late had they gotten a touchdown on that drive. And then in the third quarter, as you mentioned, there was, you know, they muffed the, was it a roughing? I think it was a roughing. Yeah. They were set to penalty. go three and out and then they got yeah. a penalty. Colby Wadman picked up. Yeah. Which gave them a free first down and they decided to run it three more times. And and the one to a, me a that waste. was the most egregious there was the pitch to Philip Lindsay on third and one. Yeah, he was he was upset about that too. He I mean, he came been. off the field. Yeah, he got creamed. I mean, there was there was nowhere to go when he just got creamed. He got tackled by two guys. He came off the field and was yelling at running backs coach Curtis Modkin. So he was upset. I mean, there were times where you could see Cortland Sutton throw his hands up in the air like, what are we doing here? Um, there's, there was obviously the confusion late in the, in the final seconds of the first half when Brandon McManus thought he was going to try for a 65 yarder. He got mad when he had to come off and he couldn't have a chance to set the record. Um, and then they so picked up just, a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Delay of game. I mean, there have been clock management issues. I think their two minute offense when it boils down, that is the real problem. I think they've scored only three points out of their two minute offense all season, which is, you know, among the lowest in the league. Um, and that's especially late in games. That's that's when they've squandered officially um, games they probably should have won. You know what I think impressed you know what I think impressed me the most about Locke and his performance um, was that after that initial three and out, he comes back and then the Broncos go five of six on third down um, mm -hmm. in that first quarter. And that, to mm -hmm. me, was like really impressive because it was a third and four. There was a third and eight, which was when they completed the first touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton. Then the second touchdown pass to Sutton was on a third and five after they had picked up a third and five, uh, excuse me, a third and three earlier in the drive after that Draymond Jones interception. That, to me, showed a lot of moxie, a lot of confidence, um, and, and a lot of poise because, as we know, I couldn't help but feel like after that first three and out, it was like, oh, man, here we go again. How many times have we seen this Bronco mm -hmm. offense, you know, and he's going to get the three and out syndrome that all quarterbacks seem to get when they come play in Denver. The But his performance after that, and and especially on third downs, I thought was really, really impressive. Mm -hmm. I actually thought his his best throw was that 33-yarder um, at the end of the, of the second quarter when they brought Brandon McManus off and he goes in, they had that chance for the one final play. It was a, it was a bullet right up, the, up the middle and it was a beauty of a throw, but yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And that sort of magnifies the conservative play calling. Like he's, he's got the arm, he's got the confidence. 
they're th- we're three and eight. They're, what do they have to lose? Just let them air it out. You know, if he makes mistakes, so be it. Um, he's got you know a, a six five receiver that most teams would kill to have, who can catch a ball within five feet of them, no matter where you put it. Let him play. Yeah, and, and that's, I think yeah. So many times it felt like, why are you holding him back? Mm-hmm. I think what we saw from the Broncos in the first quarter was the recipe for success with Drew Locke, and I didn't understand why mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily stick with that. I thought the play actions, the rollouts, and and being able to run the football mm-hmm. is how you're going to win games with this guy, at least for the rest of this season. I think once you get into next season, once he understands the playbook a little bit more, when he hasn't missed eight weeks of practice or whatever it was, and he is more confident in the entire playbook. I mean, I know that they're going to say the entire playbook's open for him, but he's probably not 100% on the entire playbook, and I don't think anybody would be given that situation. So once they got away from the script to start the game, that's when things started to go downhill. And I don't know that you can put all of that on lock, but you're probably running plays that he hasn't run or hasn't practiced, right? you know? Right. And so I think that that was part of the reason why he had so much success early. But I think the blueprint is there. Now it's on the Broncos coaching staff to continue to call that type of game right. for an entire four quarters, which, to be honest, we haven't seen all season. Yeah, and, and Vic Fangio even admitted it was not necessarily limited, but they had to work with what they had and what he practiced with because if you go too far out, it's not that he couldn't learn those plays necessarily, but you're not sure if he can execute it. Um, and you don't want to take that risk and have them, you know, lose confidence or worse, get hurt out there. So they had to stay within a confined set of plays. So I, I would expect it to expand. I wonder, though, if they ever considered, you know, trying that first quarter script again or if defenses would you know be tipped off that they're going through that script again and would know how to counter each time but i'm just curious if if that was even a possibility for them because it did work so well and i think what we saw from him and it's similar to kind of what we saw from brandon allen and his maybe first and second game not so much in the buffalo game but there were plays that he was able to keep alive because of his mobility there were plays where he was able to turn into positive yards even if it was just one or two because of his mobility and that's something that we didn't see with joe flacco um and i made the point i was on uh, on radio earlier today uh, actually in st louis and I made the point of they were asked about the Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and how Flacco wasn't going to uh, mentor Locke. And I was like, I think everybody in Denver would be okay if Flacco didn't mentor Locke <laughs> and if Drew just kind of went off and did his own thing and we didn't see what Joe Flacco did for the first couple of games this year. So I, I think he brought a different dynamic to this offense. I'm not saying that they're ready to, that they should put him in Canton, but I think what he brought to this offense, if you can see more of that and see that continue to grow over the next four games for this season, then I think Broncos country is going to be really, really impressed. I think that front office is going to be really, really impressed with what they have in Drew Lott. I just hope they let him use his mobility because so often we've seen them bring in quarterback after quarterback. They, you know, laud their different skills, their arm strength, their mobility, their height even, and they fail to take advantage of it. They just insist on running the same sort of um, almost stagnant offense. It's become one-dimensional in a game that has become pretty dynamic when you've got quarterbacks like um, – Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson and and guys that can do as much with their feet as they can with their arm. And I, I I think a lot of the reason the Broncos are in this situation 
they're in with constant quarterback turnovers is they 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 haven't been willing to really find a system that fits their quarterback. I, I feel like a lot of times they've been trying to fit the quarterback into their system, and that's it's not working. So you hope for Drew that they they really work around him and build around him. And I think the biggest thing now over the next few games is you'd like to see a progression. Whereas, you know, we've seen so many times where a guy has, even with Brandon Allen, you know, he has a, a, a really good first start and it kind of trails from there. Um, and, and you don't want to see that regression because it can snowball. I mean, this is not to say he's going to have a great game every outing. Um, no player does, but you would just want to see a general trend. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Locke in these last four games. And to me, if that doesn't happen, the Heat gets turned up on Rich Gangarello and, and by proxy Vic Fangio. Um, because yeah. if they don't put him in positions to succeed, then I think the Heat is really going to get turned up. And I think it's going to come from the inside because we all know that John Elway wants this guy to succeed, right? Like we all know yeah. John Elway wants Drew Locke to succeed. And if his coaching staff isn't putting him in positions to succeed, then I think there are going to be some phone calls made from the front office down to the coaching staff to say, what the heck are we doing? And you brought up Rich Gangarello. And I'm I'm curious now because Vic's comment post game when he was asked about the decision to go deep to Cortland Sutton along the sideline um, on the play that drew the PI call and ultimately set up the game winning field goal. Um, he, he really did throw rich Gangarello under the bus. He didn't name him by name. And I don't know if he felt because he did that, he was protecting him in some way, but um, he, he s- said that rich Gangarello, the offensive coach um, said, just take a knee and Vic responded no, and you know they went through their options of throwing it deep up the middle. They didn't like that, so they decided you know let's just try to go deep to Cortland along the sideline and see what happens. And ultimately, he draws a thirty-seven yard PI call. Um, you know when he first said it, and he's been asked about it twice more since. Um, he put the onus on on Scangarello, and I'm not entirely sure that it really happened that way because he's kind of softened it and his answer since. So I do wonder if there are some communication issues um, between Rich Gangarello and Vic Fangio. And that in turn is causing these problems. I mean, you see it with the clock management and their two minute offense. And it's still an issue. We've brought it up and, you know, he's, I, I think there's a bigger thing at play than just pointing the blame on, um, you know, one person up there, be it the offensive coordinator, the head coach, you know, Mike Munchak, anybody, I, I think there's they got to work some kinks out there. It is interesting how Fangio tried to walk that back and say, "Oh no, the coach, the coaching staff asked me if we wanted to kneel, and I said no. You know, whatever. There's there's definitely something going on there um, in terms of the the communication. Speaking of communication, what did you make of Brandon McManus and his reaction to not being allowed to kick the 65 yard field goal? I loved it. Like I, I thought, thought it was great. I thought it was entertaining. Awesome. Yes. From yeah. an entertainment perspective, yeah. it was great. And he was asked afterward if he feels like he needs to apologize. And he was like, no, we're two grown men. And and then like throw shade at your head coach. You threw your helmet in the first half. Then the co- head coach gives you a game ball in the locker room after the game. And you turn around and throw shade. And he's like, not kicking the 65 yarder was the best and worst decision or worst and best. I think yeah. was his words that you made all day. I, I love, it and I love the type of of confidence and and moxie that Brandon McManus has, um, and I think that that is part of the reason why uh, he was able to 
rebound from that the way that he did and kick two really big kicks in the second half. The best part of all of that, though, was when he came out before the start of the second half. Nobody was on the field. So salty. He he sets his tee from 65 yards out and just nails one. And it was like, you know what it reminded me of? Remember the story of um, Peyton Manning when he was recovering from the foot injury and he's working out in the field house. Nobody is around except... um, it was the quarterback's coach, Knapp, I think at the time, just working on the field house trying to recover. He had Jordan Sunshine Taylor as his designated receiver. Um, and these workouts were filmed. Um, and Gary Kubiak would review them each day. And uh, after the last one, when Peyton Manning thought he was um, ready to return, he uh, he gave Gary Kubiak the signal. And that signal, of course, was a middle finger in front of the camera. I think so it was that's two, what I felt like. It was a two. <laughs> so that's what I felt like Brandon what Brandon McManus's uh, you know, mid game kick was it was the middle finger and then sure enough he got his two fifty plus yarder. So good times. Yeah. Good times. No, I, I like it. I don't know that I love that Vic Fangio enjoys the fact that Brandon got so much joy out of uh, working against him, you know, if you will. And that Fangio was like, okay, I don't care if you hate me. The bottom line is we won the game. I don't know that I love that, but I love the the way that all kind of transpired. And and that's a guy I want on my team, right? Like that's yeah. the kind oh, of absolutely. moxie and, and confidence that I want from my kicker. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that they – I wish they had taken the kick. What do you have to lose? Why not? Just go for it. Yeah. But then then part of me was like, oh, he's just trying for a record. He's not really, you know. Well. It's more about his. But I can't blame him either. It's like, you're three and eight. Why not? Exactly. Give me a shot. And oh, by the way, if I add three points, then the end of the game looks a little bit different, doesn't it? Exactly. Rather than throwing a completion to Cortland Sutton, which meant absolutely nothing, just padding the stats. Yeah. And oh, by the way, this team lacks scoring generally they're one of the worst and oh by the way more than nineteen thousand fans didn't want to show up because you guys are just not good let's set the record with a field goal why not what can it hurt let's have some fun shall we um what did you make of this defensive performance i thought it was pretty good Uh, obviously they had some big plays that they would want back um but overall i thought the defense did a really good job especially when you consider that they were without von miller who was inactive um and they lost Derek wolf a little bit um and so i think that this defense played a really decent game overall that one grab on isaac adam poor isaac adam because yeah, what is else? What else is he supposed to do on that? Seriously, you know? and if that were anybody else, it's not a big deal. You're just like, wow, that receiver made a heck of a play. It just so happens to be Isaac Gad. I mean, he's gotten burned so many times that automatically everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's so terrible. Blah blah blah. Well, no, that was just an incredible grab on a fourth day. It really was. It really was. I don't know how Mike Williams pulled that in. Um, I thought they did pretty good. Not great. I. The, the back end still scares me, but they're so depleted back there. I mean, they have Chris Harris and a bunch of guys, really, um, as far as the cornerbacks. I mean, they still got Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, but when you got Will Parks playing nickel corner, you know you have some problems, right? And Will Parks has a broken hand and yet still managed to get a sack on a safety blitz. So I thought they did really good with what they had, and I was 
pleasantly surprised to see Draymond Jones get an interception because I, I just think it speaks to the talent they found in this draft class, which at times even I started to doubt. Like, you know, there was a, at one point it was really just Dalton Reisner and occasionally Corton Sutton, which is with his huge catches. Um, but that was really it as far as contributions from this latest draft class. So I, Cortland Sutton was from the previous one. What am I thinking? But, you know, Dalton Reisner was the one that, has really started every game. Uh, yeah. He's a second-round pick, and there wasn't much else from the others. Noah Fant was kind of up and down, still is. But I, I feel like Sunday night we really saw what a lot of these guys can do just because they were given more opportunity, and that, of course, includes Drew Locke, but also Draymond Jones and others. So I and think, I think it speaks see, well for what they have. And I think you're going to see more of that down the stretch here with these final four games remaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as well as Drew Locke played, he's going to have his hands full going into Houston and going into Kansas City in the next two games, as well, I think, a lot of those guys um, and some of those young guys. But you're going to start to see more of them. And I think the Broncos are going to get a good sense as to what those guys can be in the future. And I think that will help as they get ready for the 2020 NFL draft um, and figure out kind of where they go as a franchise after what will be another 500 season at best, but probably another losing season. Um, And so I think that'll be, that'll be something to look for um, and something positive, hopefully that you can take away from, from the final four games this year. Yeah. And I think we'll see it more, especially of Draymond Jones and Justin Hollins, given the injuries at linebacker and up front on the line. I mean, Von Miller was inactive for the first time in 95 games because of a left knee injury that I was told was a sprain slash strain, which means a partial tear. So they, they're they hopeful he can go uh, against Houston, but he's not 100%, obviously. Um, and and then I'm appears of the that mindset, just... just- Set him down. I wish they would. I wish they would shut him down. I don't even silly. know why they're trying him. Yeah. Can you imagine if Von Miller gets hurt in these final four games of a season that has already gone by the wayside, and he gets hurt and he's got to miss games in 2020? I mean, knock on wood. You don't wish that on anybody, but you cannot put yourself in that situation. It makes no sense to me. You already, you're already without Bradley Chubb. You know, you can't afford to lose. Von Miller, just shut him down. You have, you saw what the kids were able to do in his place. Just let him go. Let him have some time, really develop. I don't, I don't understand the thinking there. But nonetheless, he's dealing with a, le- a left knee injury, um, and now you got Derek Wolf, who has a dislocated elbow. Um, for his sake, he, I think it's a positive that he doesn't need surgery, but he's he's done for the season, and you know he's facing free agency. So, you know. Step up Draymond Jones to Marcus Walker. I mean, we're going to see more of those guys. But that's that's their top three pass rushers that are already out or possible or limited. You know, between Chubb, Vaughn, and Derek Wolf. And the Derek Wolf injury that just stinks. I mean, it stinks because it shouldn't have happened at all. Yes. Like, yeah, no. I mean, that play should have been blown dead earlier because there was a false start. And it was, and then you look at a guy who is 29 years old. He is, as you mentioned, a free agent and he's having a fantastic season. Mm -hmm. I mean, an Mm -hmm. incredible year and picked up was two sacks in the game prior to his injury. And then all of a sudden has to be shut down. And you're like, oh, that just, just stinks for Derek Wolf. Yeah. Especially given all the other, you know, really bad injuries he's dealt with over his career. You know, he's 
finally healthy after undergoing that neck surgery a couple of years ago. And here he is playing the best ball of his life. And this happens. And it was just, it was a freak thing on an unnecessary, unnecessary play. Um, so I feel for him there. Uh, and what year is he in? One, two, three, four. Eighth year, and he's putting up career numbers sack-wise. I mean, that's impressive. So you hope they bring him back. I think he played really well in, in Vic Fangio's system, and I know Vic likes him. I praised him pretty highly today. So we'll see what the future is for Derek Wolf. Yeah, and Derek certainly doesn't want to leave. We know that, and obviously we've – Talked about that on this uh, on this podcast. Of course, as we look forward, you got the Texans coming up and then a visit to Kansas City and the Chiefs uh, and then two home games to close out the regular season. And I imagine that the 19,000 people that didn't show up Sunday against the Chargers uh, might be finding their way to their seats uh, and for those games against the Lions and the Raiders. Yeah, I, I think... I think they'll want to come back, you know, after seeing what... <laughs> uh, getting the taste of Drew Locke, so... Um, yeah, it could be an interesting final four games this season. I really think it is going to be, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Drew Locke progresses, how those young guys that we've talked about, how they progress. This is a team that is out of the playoffs, but there is still certainly a lot to watch for that I think is going to kind of dictate how where this franchise goes in the short-term future. Yeah, especially these next two games where he's going to be on the road, one of which is back in his hometown of Kansas City. Um will be really interesting to see how he handles this, how the play calling, if it changes at all. Um, and we'll go over all of that and more on, on Thursday. Yeah, congratulations, Drew Locke. You beat the uh, L.A. Chargers at home. Your prize is that you get to go on the road and face a team that just beat the Patriots on Sunday night football. So, Good luck! Yeah, yeah. And then, by the way, the next week, you're going to get to go take on a Kansas City team uh, that is atop the standings in the AFC West. So, congratulations. You got one win, and now we're going to really find out uh, what you're made of over the next couple of weeks here. Of course, we will be back with you later this week to break down that game coming up in Houston. And uh, until then, we will log off. Again, our final grades for Drew Locke. Nikki giving him a B+. Plus. I'm giving him a, a solid B and uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what happens the rest of the season. And as I mentioned, we'll be back with you later on this week to get you ready for everything you need to know about the Broncos next game against the Texans.